This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And Jonathan, I must really commend the three listeners that we have, and especially their dogs. My dog. Uh, your, it's, only it's, it's only my dog, according to Sizwear uh, and Pofu Welsh. Right. Well, your dog has about a thousand iTunes or more. How many thousands of iTunes <clears> accounts? My dog uh, basically spends every day at home. Um, he has a warehouse, actually, that he's built in my garden. Like a, like a click farm, except mm. it's a download. It's just thousands, it's just thousands of uh, CPUs. Uh, basically running their own independent uh, iTunes accounts, just right. con- constantly I mean, downloading. That's how we get the downloads, the though. Reports. I mean, to assume that we reach thousands of people a month is just ridiculous. Mm. Well, my, I'm know. just glad Mpofu Welsh, you know, put that out there, and you know, and we we coming clean. Well, I mean, my dog's named after Winston Churchill, so this is why. Oh, so he's, he's racist a, he, as well. He's a bastard, you see. He's a, just a completely colonialist um, uh, bigot, really. Right, right. Uh, but nevertheless, so I wish to thank your dog and his thousands of clickbaity farm <laughs> factories that he's got. And, yes, and the other two listeners. And if you happen to listen to the show and you just, you do download it. I mean, we're hitting number one consecutive week, consecutively now every week. Yeah. And it's, it's gratifying. So personally, thank you to the listeners. I really, really appreciate uh, your help and support. And I'm glad that uh, you find the show useful. Well, I have to echo those sentiments, and uh, we obviously appreciate everyone who listens to the show. We appreciate the support. Uh, not support, not sycophancy. So uh, we, we like the fact that we have listeners who agree with us sometimes, who disagree with us. And today we're actually going to do a bit of a solo show, so no guest in studio. Uh, we have asked you guys both on Patreon and Facebook for questions. We will make sure we get to all the Patreon questions can't promise all the Facebook questions. If you want guarantees from us, give us money. Um, and just so you know, the noise in the background, uh, occasionally, uh, she's very sweet and quiet. Uh, but Ramon's daughter has joined us in studio to give her opinions on the latest uh, geopolitical Indeed. situation in the Middle East. Uh, yes, of course. Of course. As a, as a half Portuguese, half French Arab, her opinion counts as much as anyone else's. <clears throat> Can we just discuss why um, – what's it? Haji – Dorji is referring to you as a white male. I, I think this is um, incredibly racist. Um, well, I don't know. I never met the lady. Um, I, for so, okay, I'm going to actually call you out on this because here's a person yeah. who wrote this a book about nonsense, and then you like to amplify it on Renegade Report Twitter account. You like what a what a, a terrible comment or I said it was, racist I said it was, I said it was asinine and racist. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, her book, uh, part of, uh, part of an excerpt released, uh, was, which was clearly obviously released for that purpose, uh, to. And you fell into it? No, I didn't fall into it. She's gonna sell maybe, uh, two books and one to her dog. Uh, and I believe that actually is true because the truth is in South Africa, you're a bestseller if you sell more than a thousand. So let's see how long it takes them to call her a bestseller, inverted commas. Uh, she's not going to sell many books. She's going to sell to all the feminists who live in Cape Town, which is pretty much her wife and a few of their friends. Uh, and I do think that uh, you're right. It is amplifying it to an extent, but I don't think anyone's going, Oh, I'm going to go buy that book now. I think it's, uh, I think it's just as important to amplify the idiocy. I just don't know why you give, uh, 
a platform to be, people because, because like the, that. you know the, the thing is is when you read something like if you go to blackopinion.coza right now that's uh, that's the greatest news that's website that's Andile's uh, yeah. website um, Andile Mitama uh, and it's insane now, it's batshit crazy uh, but everyone knows it's batshit crazy that is not mainstream uh, and you can sort of see the things on there and you can kind of go, well, that's freaking insane or completely racist or completely anti-Semitic or whatever it happens to be on a given day. And you can walk away because you can go, everyone knows this is nuts. And anyone who doesn't is a very, very, very small minority and they're going to walk away. This woman is mainstream published. She go, She's in News 24 all the time, Woman 24. She's on Daily Maverick. She's in the mainstream and they're publishing this kind of nonsense as if it is gospel to some extent, as if it has value and meaning, as if writing an entire article on uh, the collectivist white group and how they live their lives and how white people never buy spices um, and or that type of rhetoric is is has any value or any standing in the world. So I think – I will no disagree with you that it's important to say something on that stuff. Okay, we can I, 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 don't think that. We, I don't think we can completely ignore that. Um, if, if you really want. You have a Patreon question. Right, indeed. So Patreon is, is full of economic questions for some reason. Well, two, mostly, to be fair. Mm. And all about monopolies. Oh, so, okay. uh, I So as, you, as everyone knows, this show is always well prepared. Uh, so I haven't heard the Patreon. I haven't seen the Patreon questions. Right, so I, actually, I, don't I actually have thoughts on so what's the question well the questions are in a in a free market system can can monopolies occur uh and what what you know and if not what prevents them from occurring so there's two distinctions to be made there's perfect competition and free market they're not the same things the free market is just transactions between millions of people every day and sometimes you can have a monopoly rockefeller created a monopoly uh, without reg- state regulation, actually the state forced him to break up his monopoly. Uh, so you can have a monopoly if you first in the market or you just outcompete your competitors or you buy them up in the long run. Like Facebook, for example. Mm. There's a, people call it a monopoly on, on, uh, as a social media platform, but there are many others that exist. Yeah. Which Facebook does not want to buy, for example. So, so it's difficult to say Facebook is a monopoly because they don't rely on government regulations to exist. They don't rely on anti-competitive behavior to exist. Uh, so I think, you know, in a free market, mm. perfect competition does not exist. So of course monopolies can exist. The thing is, they don't last very long. It's, it's impossible for monopolies to last very long. I think in, the top 500 companies in 1971, I think three are still in the top 500 today. Monopolies rise and fall all over the time. And a small anecdote, Rockefeller was forced by the Sherman Act to break up his companies, mm. to break up his one company into 34. And he increased his market share from 40% to 90% by breaking them up. So there's not a monopoly, but there is a uh, 34 entities that he still controls. So he still controlled far more of the oil production than before he was forced to break it up. Yeah. So the, my, my thought there, I, I tend to agree with you. I just also think that it's important in, in, you know, the definition of monopoly, um, what that is. I mean, monopoly is, is when one party controls. Um, a specific uh, uh, area, the 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 well, in it, economics, it, yeah, it, to it, market, yeah, yeah. But so it's almost 
<laughs> it's almost equivalent to socialism in where the state controls the resources. In it would be a company controls the resources in one specific area, so well, they control a certain resource for yeah. a certain good. Um, and I think so. Like Facebook, as an example, isn't because they don't control the internet. Um, and in fact, that's what net neutrality deals with. So if you want uh, Facebook to have more control over the internet, then you let them have net neutrality. Um, but, but which they don't have it currently. But the, the, the whole notion is, is that you, no one else can compete. Now, I think monopolies in the idea, can there be one company that offers a service and nobody else decides to offer that service? Indeed. If that's how you want to define a monopoly, then sure, that's going to happen in a free market. Um, for a number of reasons. Now, if you've got a small market, for example, um, there might not be uh, anyone willing to to take on the the leading uh, yeah. player because because uh, the barriers are too low, like paper clips, right? If you make if you're the best paper clip maker, yeah. not everyone. I assume other firms will be like, yeah, we don't really care about paper clips. Yeah. But mining, you need five billion dollars to start, and obviously yeah. not. Everyone has five billion sure. dollars to start, and, and, so. and I would imagine as well. It's also a scalability issue: you, the size of uh, populations, the size of communities, the access to certain different types sure. of resources. It's very contextual. Uh, yeah, so I do think if you're talking about one player running one sector, that happens all the time and can happen in a free market, sure. uh, based on a number of other things. Um, but that, uh, but the implication would be that in a true free market. If I actually really wanted to compete against that that player, I could. Nothing restricts me from doing that. It well, just no, no, doesn't make no much legal sense. Legal restrictions, absolutely. Just a, a question of capability. Yeah, and um, uh, so so yeah, I think I think that that pretty much I hope answers the question to, to the yeah, person. Yeah, who and it. Um, and sometimes monopolies are great, right? The the, the cost of trains. When Vanderbilt controlled all the train, all the railways, the cost of trains fell. Dramatically, the train fare rather fell dramatically. The cost of oil fell dramatically when there was a monopoly on oil, uh, because you know economics of scale, economies of scale rather. So monopolies, you know, a natural monopoly, which is what happens in a free market. I'm not against because they don't last long. They often break down costs, and uh, technology just progresses. You know, whether they want to or not. I, I, I just think the the idea that you know the free market. Is the idea of competition or, yes. or that competition can exist, but not the idea that it has to exist. Indeed, because then there's perfect competition <clears throat> market, which is not the same as yeah. the free market. Sure. Um, <laughs> so Martin uh, commented about a uh, previous guest, Martin von Staden, wants to know when we're going to do a three-hour show uh, because with some of the guests, he says, um, not himself, of course, um, but it only starts getting good by the end of the first hour. So. Um, I mean, I completely agree with him. We're, we're uh, yes, okay. So with some guests, firstly, that's uh, that's I think important. Uh, I think also to be said, uh, discussion I actually had with um, Jeremy Nell uh, was that often the podcasts go really well when it's someone you know. So the the two podcasts that. I find go really well. Number one is, is if it's someone you know, you have some sort of relationship with, either they've been on the show before, so they feel comfortable in the environment. You also happen to be friends with them outside of the show. Um, or, uh, take Tony Leon as an example. Uh, I've met him once. Ramon hasn't. Uh, and you know, 
we don't know him by any means, but it was a good show. And the reason for that is because he's used to being in this environment where he gets put in front of a microphone and people ask him questions. Yeah. And he's used to – he knows where he stands on things. He knows how to answer things. And he knows how to not answer things if he doesn't want to. Um, those shows generally go really, really well. When we get guests on that are less – sort of used to this environment um, and specifically podcasts because when we're organizing guests, we often have questions about, uh, you know, how does this work? And and then they think it's an interview because the things they've been exposed to before is mainstream media and some journalist who comes turns on a tape recorder and asks them questions or press conferences and things like that. Uh, and we always say to them, look, we're trying to have sort of more of a table discussion. Like you, we invited you over for dinner. That's the kind of chat we want to have. Uh, and I think that's those ones are less amenable. Sure, and it also depends on the topic at hand. Mm. So in 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 two three weeks time, we're going to have Leon Schreiber. He wrote a, a specific book, for example, and we're just going to talk about the book, and that's going to be an hour hour and a half just on the book. Yeah. So we can't you can't talk about coalitions for three hours. I would think. Yeah, exactly. So also that's true. If you, if you, if you're going on specific topic or specific focus. Uh, but yeah, three hours, we're not against the idea, but, uh, you, you then need to, you know, to do the Joe Rogan thing. Joe Rogan will have someone like, uh, you know, I don't want to use, cause Jordan Peterson can go on about his, his stuff for, for hours and, and it's always his stuff. Yeah. But if you speak to someone, if you listen to Jordan Peterson with one of the comedians that he interviews or Jocko Willink or one of those guys. Yeah. They'll talk about Jocko Willink and, and, and his leadership stuff and, and his, his consulting that he does and his military stuff. And then at a point they'll be like, so do you smoke a lot of weed, dude? And then they'll start talking about like shit they do or they did when they were young. And you know, some of our guests might not be that interested <laughs> in, yeah. in, in, in divulging certain parts of their lives. Um, and those aspects. So you need to be careful when you do a three hour show, uh, because th- I think that starts getting into other things sure. that may be very interesting. And if anyone's keen, Hey, we're willing sure. to give it a bash. And there's also restrictions in terms of uh, studio time, our time. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, we do this free essentially and uh, we do it when we can. I mean, personally, I would, if I could get a three hour podcast, Every second day and be paid like thousands of rands for each one. I'll do it in a heartbeat. Mm. But now there's, there's no incentive for the moment to do three hours, but I would like to go. I, I just been on a, a podcast of a friend of mine for two hours and it went like, it felt like 20 minutes. So when you're in the zone, it feels really good. And if mm. you want to listen to that one, it's called the thought lab podcast. Um, I did tweet about it and, um, I think it's important for us, Jonathan. It's not a question, but it's important for us to actually promote other people. Who are creating alternative media um, content in the country? Because we, 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 we're not by any means at the top of our game, but we're sort of established, and we know what it feels like to have uh, zero retweets, you know, <laughs> on, on one of our tweets. So um, yeah, so listen to that. That's two hours, and I spoke about anything from Donald Trump to anarchism to Roman Dutch law. Good. I uh, look forward to haven't listened to it yet, but do look forward to uh, swearing at my cell phone while you talk absolute rubbish. Um, <laughs> right. Um, Liacho wants to know where we draw our political ideology from. I think we we've answered a similar question before. Um, in in terms of it's, uh, it's a mixture of intuitions, data, what other people say, if it makes sense. Um, I mean, I draw. I mean, I got I got certain principles. 
certain axioms. Like, mm. I believe freedom is very important. Mm. I believe state power is violent. I believe coercion is, is, is a problem. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, I don't have an ideology. I've just got principles and the decisions on particular subjects flow from those principles. So one day I could be anti-abortion. Then you have David Benatar makes a compelling argument for antinatalism, for example. And you're like, okay, abortion is wrong, but perhaps if, if you know, if you're able to know that that person being born well, today, you said will abortion suffer. is wrong, so we have to get to that later. Right, but if you if you if you know the person born today will suffer immensely, perhaps it's mm. better to abort than for them to live. So my my um, do you think my uh, intuitions change all the time? Do you think you? I mean, you talk about principles um, which inform everything. Do you think some of those principles are ideologies, though? So, like anarchism is an ideology. I, I, I mean, of sorts, or it's just my principles brought down to the basic level. Mm, okay. the principles of, of, of freedom, the principles of non-coercion, mm. the principles of non-aggression. You see, cause my, cause someone could say, well, all those principles also lead to libertarianism. Um, and they also lead to, uh, classical liberalism. Mm. They're all on the same spectrum, right? Sure. The difference is, is then when we start discussing the details of what freedom means, for example, no, the anarchist goes, um, there is no country, there is no state, it's just a piece of earth and we move beyond, around on it. The libertarian goes, yeah, you can call it a country, but fuck your borders, basically. And the classical liberal goes, well, there's a state, there's a small state and they do some stuff and the borders might matter or might not, yeah. depending on how that state functions. state is stuff. necessary for um, freedom. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, okay, fair answer. I, 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 I partially agree with that. I, I think I might buy more into the idea of an ideology. I do think it's quite important to understand how we form these sort of positions in life because it's very easy for us to come on a podcast and go, well, I'm a classical liberal and one guy, I'm an anarchist and we have libertarians on and um, the only true libertarian I've ever come across is actually Martin um, because if you ch- challenge most libertarians, you can make them bend. On most of the things you can't, you can't make Martin bend. It's impossible. Um, we've tried. Um, but, but I think, I do think, and, uh, it's something someone like Ben Shapiro says a lot of the time. I do think that the way kids are brought up, the environment they're brought up in, what they're exposed to is actually very, very important in, in where this ends up. So I'm not saying you can, you, you can't be brought up in a house that supports socialism and end up as a conservative. In fact, I think there's a high chance of that, uh, depending on how much you rebel. But, um, I do think that the chances are if your underlying values fit in with a later ideology, uh, there's more chance of you ending up there. Uh, because if you think about it, I'm, I'm 35, Ramon, what are you, 33? 32. Um, I'm a young, young man. So, so Ramon's 30. And, um, so where, by the time you're 20, you know nothing of where you really stand on, on Speak most of these, on most of these issues. It was all wrong, but I knew everything. <laughs> you, okay. So your teenagers have views, obviously, but a lot of them haven't, uh, put them into boxes. No, yet. of course not. Uh, certainly not by 18. When they go to universities, they start understanding that some Except of their beliefs fit into boxes. He's always been a conservative. Since he was three, I can imagine. Well, yeah, but he also finished high school, I think, when he was 14 or 15 or something. But um, 
so I think a lot of that, you know, you're 18 and you, you don't actually know where you fit into any of these boxes. And I, I don't think your parents should be telling you you necessarily fit into a box. I think if they can imbue certain values and principles in you, those will end up putting you in that box ultimately, um, probably. Uh, then you hit your 20s. And if you like me, you didn't really give a shit about any of this stuff uh, in your early 20s. Uh, and then from – in my case, from my mid-20s, I started getting interested in more politics and philosophy and all of that stuff and how all this stuff comes together and, and all the meaning and, and, and all of that. Um, so I think you can come to – I can answer the question in two ways. You can come to oh, ideology. Yeah, now. Fucking hell. Okay. <laughs> you can come to ideology – um, by telling people to go read books, you can, you know, if you're classical or liberal, you can say, you know, go read Locke and, and, and go read Hayek and go read uh, Smith. But, uh, so that's one way. Um, but I do think that if I tell Julius Malema to go read those books, I don't think he's coming around to our side. Um, and that's got to do with his experience, his exposure and his upbringing. Uh, to some extent. Sure. Uh, it's, also, it's also about your vision of the world. Mm. So Thomas Sowell had this book called The Conflict of Visions, which is probably one of the most important books of the 20th century. And he talks about these two broad visions of the world. The one is trade-offs. So the conservative right-wing one, we can do X, but there will be Y. There's always trade-offs. We'll never get to utopia. So we must try to organize ourselves in a way where the trade-offs uh, do not harm us as much. And then you've got people on the left which have an unconstrained vision where it's about utopia. We are going somewhere lovely, and the only reason we're not there yet is because capitalism. Or we're not going there because X is you know, preventing us from doing so. Mm. So if you believe in a utopic vision of the world, you will always be on the left. Yeah. Because there's always a fundamental human progress throughout history, mm. and we're marching towards it. I, I think – and you want to just take away those barriers. On the right, yeah. uh, you, that's why you like tradition and precedence because the small interaction that happened throughout history over you know thousands of years, it solves the little problems along the way. Um, so that, that if, you know that sort of the conflict of visions is also an important aspect of where you lie. Absolutely, and just on those two visions, while you were saying it, you, you know. If you're on the left, you always have to – the entire system on the left is set up to conflict against something. So you it's always believe – yeah, you always believe the, the way that things are is because of some negative or evil in the world. For example, if you're an ardent socialist or communist, you'd believe that capitalism is the evil and that is what's really stopping us from achieving the utopia. Yeah. Whereas if you're on the right and you buy into capitalism, it doesn't believe anything is an obstruction other than the obstruction of freedom. So it, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really blame, um, it doesn't any, hold anything up as, as a blame. It, it, uh, it, 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 it's, it's just saying, well, if there's absolute freedom, then, uh, we, we will achieve the best we can get to. Right. And, and it's a question of just trusting people to do what they want to with that freedom. Right. Uh, and try to prevent prohibition as much as possible. Cool. Uh, all right, so hopefully that uh, does answer the question somewhat. Uh, what's your take on the phenomenon of science denialism? Oh, this is an interesting question. Oh, yes. um, and what's causing it? So I did ask Charles to just expand a little bit. Um, he then expanded and said, look, uh, you know, you've got anti-vaxxers denying, you know, that kind of science. You've got social justice warriors who embrace lots of failed ideologies. Uh, 
I don't know so much that that's science, although I suppose it is a somewhat objective fact. Um, evangelicals denying evolution, uh, homeopathy being relatively mainstream, crystal healing, etc., etc. Uh, and he's asking why at the probably the pinnacle of human education does it appear that rational thinking is wholly absent in large swathes of people? You want to start? Well, uh, I've got I mean, lots I, of thoughts here. Yeah? The only reason is because rational thinking was never a feature of our species. You're going with the John Haight. Uh, no, but it never was. This assumption that rationalism is innate within humans is, is deeply flawed. Um, as for the anti-science stuff, science is a measurement. It's a, it's a, you know, a testable hypothesis that you prove or disprove. It's not the absolute truth on a matter. Any scientist who say this is like absolutely true in all circumstances, I would classify that as pseudoscience in a lot of ways. Um, and, and the use of science has been proven to prove all sorts of disgusting things, right? They used, um, phrenology. They said, you know, scientific, um, to, you know, to, to measure skulls of different races and, and make conclusions based on that. Um, and let's not forget, uh, people aren't rational. So ideology will always trump rationality in that regard. And, uh, sometimes, you know, people just make money. Homeopathy is a classic scam mm. on par with Amway and the pyramid schemes, mm. um, that, uh, say, you know, there's the, the, you know, the mainstream scientists are all there for profit, but we're not for profit. We're here to heal. So there's also, there's incentives for them to deny science. So I, I I slightly differ with you here. Um, I mean, I, I do think that we need to be very careful. So there have been times at which science has been used um, nefariously. And so what then happens is people go, well, so-and-so used science nefariously to do X evil thing. Therefore, science, as you can see, can be evil. Um, and the truth is, is when that happens, here's the problem. People go and start measuring skulls. They don't go and start measuring skulls, then find out skulls are different sizes, and then go, hmm, let's come up with a hypothesis for that. What's happened in that situation is they go, how can we prove that X race is worse uh, or more stupid than Y race? Uh, and then they come up with a way to do that, which is not your, the way you should you should, you should should science, basically. It's not the scientific method. No, no true. So, or, so, or, or they could just just make false conclusions yeah so but the so the, the issue is 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 with the so to understand the scientific method is the scientific method proposes a question so it, it, it sees something in the world it wants to test why that happens whatever it happens to be um so it sees let's use your anti-vaxxing well not it's not your argument but the point about anti-vaxxers uh, they go and say, well, people say that vaccines can cause autism. Mm. Let's test that. Do vaccines cause autism? And then what they do is they run it. That, that's the hypothesis. The hypothesis is either vaccines cause autism or vaccines, that, that would probably be the hypothesis. Anti-hypothesis, they don't. Um, and you would then run testing to see um, of sorts uh, to see, and you would have an outcome at the end, which would either prove the uh, – Null hypothesis or, or not. So, so the, the, the thing is, is that there are some, from our perspective, there are, um, objectable, object, objectable, um, truths, uh, that science has proven. For example, um, the atmosphere in, on earth is 21% oxygen, right? And oxygen sure. is an element on the, 
on the periodic table. Sure. Now, we, we could go to another planet somewhere where there's yeah. intelligent life and they could go, well, we don't call that oxygen uh, and we don't define it in percentages. We've got a different measuring system. But at the end of the day, it would still be – that would still be a relative objective truth. Um, the, the, this becomes a lot more complicated and this is the problem with social sciences. Um, when you start trying to not look at something as simple as this is a gas – and this is found in this measurement, <laughs> in this place. When you start looking at things like human behavior or um, belief or, or, or those very much more complex things where there's a number of confounders, it, is, it does become more difficult. And there are incorrect scientific conclusions that are drawn over time. A mental illness as an example. Um, you know, it's not only – so this is an example where the science may have been – Influence, but it may also have been wrong. So uh, being homosexual was at one point defined as a mental illness. Sure. Um, now, I don't know enough to say that that was wholly political, and I'm willing to believe that there's a possibility that that was also the scientific method going, okay, well, the hypothesis is most humans um, you know, are heterosexual, which is still a fact, um, and – so we're going to run this and see. And so homosexual is the outlier and therefore homosexual is not normal. And, and that's how they end up with that classification. And that's a scientific uh, process of sorts, uh, which has come to an incorrect conclusion. So I don't disagree that that can happen. Sure. Um, in terms of the actual main question being asked, so what's, why all the science denialism? So firstly, I don't think there's as much science denialism as, uh, we believe there is. So we we do have these waves that happen. Uh, Anti-vaccination waves are one example. So that is definitely worse now than it was 30 years ago. Uh, we see it with um, re-rise of certain epidemics in places like the United States, which didn't have measles cases for decades and then had outbreaks mainly across areas which hadn't been vaccinated, uh, California specifically. Um, so, I, th I think that that does happen, and I think I think that even though I, I, the the incidence of science denialism isn't as high as you believe it is, social media and the internet has a lot to play with this. People sure. people have Google. I, I can tell you, practicing as a doctor at any level, and I've done it as a GP and at a specialist level, um, patients love Google, um, and and they will they will try to tell you your job basically oh, sure. <laughs> by googling and I googling short, i got shoulders of breath and i um, got a fever therefore i got breast cancer yeah uh, the, the, basically you, you google is not always the right answer because it's true that google might give you the right answer to, to your disease except the way i got to know all about your disease or the treatment about it was i read the 10,000 Google results essentially is the, is the volume of, of my knowledge in being able to deal with that sure. versus the, the, the first hit on the page. Uh, so what's it about? Well, I think a bit about Ramon's, what Ramon said in that people aren't necessarily innately rational, uh, that it's not always that big a thing and that it's, uh, that it's, 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 it's it, access to information is sometimes good and sometimes bad because it depends how you are prepared to engage with that information. Yeah. And, and just think about it this way. Take, take your most deeply cherished held belief. Um, and then someone proves that it's wrong. Are you going to be like, oh, okay, I was wrong. I'll change my mind. No, you won't. You'll double down or you're trying mm. to disprove it. Right. And that's why there's religious yeah. people in the world. Like I think it's easily 
disprovable that mm-hmm. a God exists, but uh, five billion people in the world or six billion disagree with me entirely. Uh, and it's not because they're right and I'm wrong or the other way around. It's just that people have these beliefs because culture, tradition, history, they all play a part in forming identities and science might be just one aspect of it mm. for them. There's one last thing, which is also authority. So oh, yeah. the, the, or the mainstream, so to speak. Uh, and th- if the mainstream says uh, vaccines are good for you, they don't cause autism, uh, then there's a million ways to challenge that because you can go, well, the government says it. And I've heard the renegade reports say, you know, the government shouldn't be trusted, which they shouldn't. So if they say that, then they, maybe they're not right. Or um, all these doctors, well, doctors have been in the past known to be paid by lobby groups and, and, and pharmaceutical companies. She's had all her vaccines. Yeah, um, that's why she's crying. Uh, <laughs> she's secretly an anti-vaxxer. Um, and all babies are secretly anti-vaxxers because <laughs> nobody likes needles. It, it, you can find any way to challenge the authority position. That's the point. Sure. Um, and sometimes that's the right thing to do, and sometimes it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, and I think when it comes to science, um, you, you need to actually know what you're talking about. So if you're an anti-vaxxer, you just aren't on the side of objective science, things that have been proven beyond doubt. There's no political motivation. There's no pharmaceutical funding. There's none of that. Um, homeopathy is another great example uh, Crystal healing I don't even want to get into So hopefully that answers your question um, You can't uh, reason with everyone Yeah well, uh, well, Including ourselves Jonathan You always think it's everyone else But it, it could be you um, So a question on Patreon When are we going to Aranya? So we we were invited Oh goodness gracious October a year ago yeah. now, And uh, it's just the time The time is not on our side It's a seven hour drive yeah. To get there. Uh, we need to get all the equipment there. And yeah, I mean, we will, I would love to go to just to see. And, and just to give you an idea, um, I, Ramon and I both have busy schedules. So, uh, you know, Ramon's available to record on average three afternoons a week. Um, I'm available to record maybe one to two afternoons a week and we've got to match those. Right. It, that's, that's what it comes down we can to. We only record in the week, um, not on weekends. And yeah, we, we don't have access to studio on the weekends. And so there, there are a number of those kinds of issues. Um, so just getting away right now to go for what will have to be a, probably a long weekend, I would imagine, um, is, is just not, not viable. And I think if we, if we go there, we do want to go there for a, a reasonable, it's not like a day. I, I think we'd want to go there for a couple of days at least. Um, because, I don't want to go there and be like, you know, they're going to show us all the good stuff and then we're going to be like, great, this place is, you know, paradise uh, and not see the other stuff maybe or see a negative perception in the first 10 hours and then leave and go, oh, it's terrible. So I think um, we'll get there eventually probably. I mean, the channels the channels are open and uh, we have never done a, a recording outside of the studio. Uh, so there is equipment and all that to, to worry about as well. Yep. So, I mean… You know, if we maybe if we get uh, funding or sponsorship or something like that, we could have a, have a mobile studio and make stories around the country. That would be pretty great. Right. So, Ronald wants to, well, Ronald's got an interesting proposition. In at least one parallel universe, a radical libertarian political party called the Economic Freedom Fighters is headed by prominent libertarian Julius Malema. In the upcoming elections, his party is up against a Democratic alliance, a big tent of social democrats, Christian democrats, progressives, and social liberals, headed by Musi Maimani. Right. 
I hate the words social democrats anyway. Um, the ANC has failed to obtain the necessary 15% support to be allowed to enter the campaign debates. What are the two competing party slogans and who will win the election as the different levels of government? Well, in this scenario, the ANC would be who you'd want to back. But anyway, um, the, the ANC is out of the picture. So we've got, we've got a libertarian EFF and we've got a sort Social of Democrat. center, center left party, um, in the DA. Um, so the two competing party slogans, uh, I have no, no idea. idea, Ronald. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and who will win? And who will win? Probably no one. You no, think no, they'll, they'll both get under fifty percent? I would suspect. I think the Social Democrats. Never forget, South Africa has had seventy years of one-party rule. So, um, well, it's what we used to. Well, it's what we used to. The Social Democrats are. Sorry, my daughter's turning my phone. Around. No, no, that's fine. So we've had seventy years of of, of, of one-party rule uh, between the Nats and ANC. Uh, I, I still think the big government, uh, daddy is gonna, it's gonna look after us. He's still quite prevalent in, in, in the population. So I would suspect the, yeah, the social democrats will win quite easily. You're saying social democrats, not a split. Yeah, they'll probably win. So I, I would say they'll win. I, I'm not sure if the reasoning is the same. I mean, in your parallel universe, obviously things are quite different. Uh, the, I think one of the reasons they might win is because, uh, libertarians, uh, solely libertarians, part, libertarian parties don't seem to work. So certainly not large uh, libertarian parties. They can work as smaller organizations, absolutely. But the minute they, they seem to grow, two things happen. Number one is they can't attract enough of the populace because uh, whether good or bad, it's difficult to convince uh, the majority that libertarianism is the way to go. Well, I mean, People you have to are so. You have to explain how important property rights are. You need to go into a, a, a political, philosophical argument or yeah. discussion about it. It's not, it's not, it's not slogan. And you, you got, and you got to get people away from emotion, which yeah. is going to be with, with a majority of people is actually very difficult. Absolutely. So to say what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine, uh, you, and then the first instance you have this discussion with a so-called social democrat, they're going to turn around and go, but what about the poor? Um, and so, and so I, I think that's the one reason libertarian parties are very difficult. Libertarian principles are, I think, mostly correct. Um, but I, they're very difficult to implement in real life and with the average person. The other uh, thing that tends to happen with them is, uh, that as they as they get bigger, they go crazy. So if you look at the American Libertarian Party, which is the largest example in the world, uh, their conference is insane. Okay, so you have some people on stage saying standard libertarian things: we should deregulate and de- uh, legalize drugs. Um, and, and then and then the rest is like a huge argument about whether driver's licenses are like a valid form of of uh, regulation. Well, and People then there's a guy care. getting naked on stage because that's his freedom to get naked at the conference, you know? And, and yes, it is. The problem you're is... You're hurting is, cats. You're hurting individuals. Yeah. It's very difficult. Yeah, that's the problem. Very difficult. So I I uh, would imagine that given your alternate universe, the, the uh, social Democrats, so to speak, win. I think your alternate universe is quite relatively well played out in Germany. Obviously, they've got more parties uh, to the left, and they've got quite a couple of parties to the right. But the Social Democrats um, tend to win, except for this past election, 
Yeah. Uh, where Merkel actually didn't win very well. She's had to cobble together a, 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 a coalition government, which took her much time to do. Uh, and that's because, uh, she basically she fucked, fucked up, up on the migrant crisis. Massively fucked up. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, all right, cool. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Um, just quickly on the YouTube channel. YouTube is a completely different platform, Luca. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a different entity. We have filmed some of the yeah. Renegade stuff before. Video is like three times the work. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a totally different proposition. And trust me. What you're listening to now, watching myself and Ramon in front of the microphones, is is nothing exciting. Like no. uh, Ramon's wrestling his phone from his daughter. Um, like I'm watching the board and uh, reading your questions. Like seriously, um, I I'll, mean, I mean, I'll send some, you a photo. If, if someone <laughs> if someone is is able to come in and help us, free. <laughs> free yeah. to film and to edit but, and do that. But it's even not how the show's really set up. I mean, that's, no. that's the reality. The studio's too small to really have a multi-camera setting. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, all right. hopefully in the long term, we get our own, get our own like huge uh, Joe Rogan studio and uh, we just press a button and everything works. Great. So, Luca also just quickly wanted to know about the Western Cape going independent. I think we have discussed and the Western Cape party. We did invite them, by the, the way. Cape party. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then they didn't respond. And now I don't want to speak to them. Yeah. Because, um, they, they don't believe in freedom of expression, guys. No. Uh, they, they, if you remember, they, that artist that did the fuck white people, um, exhibition, they defaced that. Uh, so it's a bit, uh, concerning, uh, in terms of their, what the actual principles are after they secede. Then what have you seceded into? You've seceded into an Ill- illiberal state. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hope secession <laughs> happens. Yeah. So Ramon hopes well, secession happens. I think it's stupid. Uh, I think it's, stupid? I, I think it's, I think it's because I think it's completely stupid. I mean, if you, Why? Be, okay. So two things. Number one is if, if you, if you're arguing that, you know, the state is stupid and we should, we should have a smaller state and all the rest of it. Seceding into the Western Cape doesn't, doesn't change any of that. In I fact, think it's it makes a, you a smaller state. Own in essence, no, it's smaller in what the state in what the state the physical land the state governs. But if anything, the Western Cape becomes the, <laughs> the most state um, party in the most sort of statist, the most statist place to live. Um, Cape Town's already the most statist place to live, guys. They've taken all of South Africa's laws, uh, South Africa's laws, which, of which we have many stupid, stupid but, laws. Yeah, but, but, you, but you're discrediting the fact that an independent Cape state will have its own internal political parties that are not bound by the federal government. ANC sure. policy. And then they'll pass the rules DA, that you can't buy alcohol on a Sunday, where no, you can but, everywhere but, else but in the, the country. But the doing that because they've got no fucking competition. If the Western Cape succeeds, there's going to be a multitude of new parties coming into the scene and fighting about these things. I'm not sure I buy that, but and the, once again, I go back to whether that party that you those parties that come up are liberal or not. So then you don't know. You don't know what you're going to get. But if they're not, you can attack them. And the second reason I think it's there. stupid is is why 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 do you want to secede from from the state? For what reason? Right? Do you have good economic reasons? No, not to, really. To escape socialist hellhole. Okay, and if you need to, if you need to escape your socialist hellhole, um, you're not going to manage to do much by seceding in the Western Cape. What, what, what are you going to do by seceding in the Western Cape? Well, there's a settler Bosch mafia. It's got a lot of guns and money, so they'll protect us. Uh-huh. Uh, they'll build the wall. 
Yeah, and we've got, fucking, the wall, we've got wine farms <laughs> and the internet and Bitcoin, so we don't need. Yeah, you don't. To be and you, you don't. Sure, else. you don't need any bread because that all comes from other parts of South Africa, and you can't uh, deal with the socialist hellhole, of course. So then you've got to import it from everywhere else. So basically, there's a whole bunch of there's living, a living a big socialist hellhole because the smaller socialist hellhole is not better. No, I'm saying say. I'm saying that as things currently stand. As things currently stand, where South Africa has a large socialist element to it, um, but there are many other sectors that work um, as capitalists because the government is incompetent of enforcing their socialism, um, I don't see a point. No, but you're thinking of a one-party dictatorship by the DA. No, no, I'm not, thinking, I'm not thinking of a one-party I'm saying the idea of secession, the idea of that province seceding at the moment makes little sense. Of course it does. Of course, it makes perfect sense. We are, we are, the, the people who vote for the ANC are not in the Western Cape, firstly. So why must we suffer the consequences? And, uh, secondly, more no, political but, competition so, so, in the Western Cape. You're confusing Cape. states. No, no. I would give, I would give, I would have states' rights in our country. So I would give the provinces their, their rights to do certain things. So federalism. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't, That's I would. the first step to secession. It's not actually. You could argue it's the first step to uh, to a union. So it goes both ways. Uh, all right. So let's. Uh, Ramon uh, thinks secession's a great idea. I don't think secession's a great idea. Uh, roughly, I would. I would uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. But uh, go read those Federalist Papers. Uh, some of them make it quite clear why it's not a great idea, uh, and that informs a lot of what I think about secession. Um, then uh, from Linda, governments should only focus on three things, health, education, and security discussed for 50 marks. So we're not going to discuss for 50 marks. And Ramon's already answered this to some extent. Uh, you want to answer verbally? I can't what I said. You said, nope, <laughs> diplomacy and enforcement of contracts is the most I'll give them. Uh, yeah, the very, I mean, it's, it's, it's Nozick's uh, view of the state. It was uh, borders, justice, and enforcement of contracts uh, through, so that basically justice is the enforcement of contracts. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the most health and all that shit, not a chance. Uh, I'd rather trust the, the market to do that. Yeah, I'll give government a little bit more. So, which is, Socialist. um, which is where, which is where classical liberals stand, not socialists. Um, so I don't want them to run health. I don't want them to run education. I don't want them to run anything um, they don't have to run. I wouldn't uh, have a problem with them having oversight on, on certain things. Uh, the idea, Ramon wants to make a, a, an agreement with me, his neighbor, to build the road. I couldn't give a fuck of making the agreement. I don't have time to worry about making the agreement with Ramon organizing a construction company to come do it, complaining when they don't lay the talk correctly. I couldn't care less. Uh, government can handle those types of things, uh, but there obviously need to be certain ways in which they would be handled. You could also argue some people um, who are a bit more left-leaning on this could argue for some sort of social welfare type of program, but not an actual program. Something, for example, where you go, well, there's poor people. They do exist. Charity hasn't resolved their problems. Uh, as government, we're going to pay, we're going to give them a voucher and they're going to go to a school that they choose. Yeah, yeah. The uh, government can fund things, yeah, so that's, but not run them. That's a, a vital distinction. Yes. Yeah. So I am perfectly happy with the government acting as a conduit for our funds, so to speak. In a very narrow sense. Uh, yes. Um, and that's, I would apply that to things like major roads, to things like, um, welfare in terms of vouchers, nothing more than that. Um, and so that you're still going to buy the service from private schooling. You're still going to buy the healthcare from a private hospital or a private doctor. Um, yeah, uh, that's, uh, 
that that would be would be my view. But obviously, this is this is where the big argument is on the right. Right, and if you disagree, you go to the gulags. <laughs> sure. Uh, all right, I think uh, that's that's pretty much it in terms of questions. We've answered most of it. Can I just make one last point, which uh, I wanted to bring up on on the sort of solo show, which is there seems to be a lot of giving of ground, um, which as we discuss principles. If you have principles, you don't give ground on your principles because you either have the principle or you don't. Well, I mean, so, unless there's a good reason to do so. Okay, right? so there's recently, a argument recently there's this whole thing I'm not enjoying, which is um, now that completely illiberal thing X has happened, should we at least do Y? So I'll give you an example. Now that Vicky Momberg has been found guilty of, uh, you know, this thing which violates free speech, yeah. um, should we at least be consistent? No, that's not where the position we should be coming from, in my opinion. Well, you're um, wrong. We should be arguing that we shouldn't do that in the first place. Not arguing, well, Use we the should. Use enemy's weapons we, against we should, them. We should. First rule of art of war. Well, I, maybe not the first it's one. not the first it's one of them. No, I fully agree. I think Julius Ben Leber should be in prison for, no, but, for, for, for inciting okay, racial Okay, but, but we need to, we need to, that's fine, but we need to uh, differentiate between using the enemies weapons against them which i don't have a problem with at all um uh versus actually compromising on principle versus actually going okay we accept that now so let's move on to the next phase oh, and no. giving up the ground it's a, it's a tactic okay. so but, okay. but i'm not seeing it as a tactic from everyone and i think you, oh. you need to be very careful when you use this so-called tactic in that you know that it's a tactic and not your new position oh sure okay uh, yeah I suspect so. But I mean, if the weapon is there, I'm going to fucking use it. I don't give a shit at all. If, uh, if I can put people in jail for racial hatred, uh, I mean, Vicky Momberg doesn't create a precedent because it's a mandatory court and it's, you know, it's nothing. But if we can use that court case to put people, especially political, polit- uh, not political, politicians in prison, I'll do it in a heartbeat. Cool. While disagreeing with myself all the time, but it's, the tactic is there. I'll use it. Because they're going to use it against us all the time. And we, yes, we've got our principles of free speech and all that. Great. The principles mean fuck all when you're in jail or being persecuted. And yes, there's a, there's a problem with, um, going down the rabbit hole and who knows where that ends up, but we're not responsible for, for the tactic in the first place. They are. Yeah. All right. So the Haveramon's position, I obviously slightly differ there. Um, but all good. Let's uh, do it again sometime. Next time, people must ask, what do Jonathan and I already disagree on? That will make a good podcast. Well, plenty. You, you mentioned abortion earlier, so we could have a, an hour on that. Abortion probably. is murder unless a person <laughs> being born will have a shitty life. Then it's not murder. Okay. I don't agree that abortion is murder, um, but I do agree there's, uh, there's a spectrum on that. So, um, like but, but, but we, can, uh, we can have a longer discussion on it some other time. We've run out of time, especially for a topic like that. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore reports. I'm sure you know where to find Ramon and myself. If you enjoy the show, please consider uh, donating on Patreon. Uh, as Ramon mentioned, we do the show for free. The funds we are using are either kept for bigger projects or to fly guests up to do things like that at a later stage or to just deal with the costs of uh, running the show. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate everyone's listenership. We really appreciate your support, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers. This is cliffcentral.com.